Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. Okay, so we have been going through this book of Romans, as, as Danny was saying. Um, we've been going through this sermon series. Now, this, if you could sum up the book of Romans, if I, could, I was thinking about it, if I could sum up the book of Romans, the book of Romans is the story of man's situation, the sinful nature of man, that man is in trouble, that per people are in trouble. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We've dishonored God with our lives. That, 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 but then God didn't leave us there. We deserve his wrath. We deserve his punishment. But God did not leave us there, that he actually gave us his son. We are justified on the basis of Jesus Christ and what he, what he did in his life, what he did in his death, what he did in his resurrection. Paul is answering the biggest question that every human being should have on their mind is that one day you will face your creator. Okay, whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. I don't care if it's your truth that he doesn't exist, if it's your truth that it doesn't work out that way, or if it's your truth, you will face, whether that's today, or it's in 20 years, or it's in five years, or it's in 100 years, you're going to stand face to face with your creator. And Paul is getting to the root question is, how do I stand before this creator not guilty? Because we are guilty of a sin. So what basis are you going to stand before your creator and say, God, I, I, I know I, uh, I just I didn't know. I, I, yeah, I did some good things, though. But when I was eight, I shared a toy with a friend. And then, you know, when I was older, I was a good person. Yeah, I did a lot of stuff that you didn't like. But I did some good stuff. Are you going to stand before God on your basis of your goodness, on the basis of the law, of your ability to obey? And Paul's saying, no, you can't stand. And he answers this question. He says, man, when you, when you get before the Father, there's only one way to stand before this God because God has made a way for you to stand before him. And he has given you, he has imputed, has reckoned his righteousness upon you. That means that you have an alien righteousness on you. It's not yours. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It wasn't even coming from you. It's Christ's righteousness upon you. And then you can stand before God perfect and complete. Why? Because it's not you he's looking at. It's the righteousness of God clothed, covering you, put on you. And that's Paul's answer to this problem that we all will face. And that's the book of Romans. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into a chapter this morning that is very, very popular. Um, it's Romans chapter 7. You know, we've all heard it. You know, we've We've quoted it. We've used it. You know, the things that I, I, I want to do, I don't do. But the things I do, I do not want to do, I do. We've used it. 
And for whatever reason, I mean, many of us have used it. We don't, we don't know where it was in the Bible. We know it's somewhere. Somewhere that Paul says something about him doing stuff he doesn't want to do, but he does it anyways. And, he, you know, we've used it. And we do it for different reasons. We use this verse <coughs> to justify. A lot of people use it to justify their sins. They, they, while they're walking in sin and they're saying, you know, but, but you don't judge. Paul struggled with it. Oh, you know, remember Romans 8, 7, he, he talks about how he walked, he did things he didn't want to do. I don't want to sleep with my girlfriend. It just happens. It's my thorn in my flesh, you know. I don't want to do it. I'm trying to fight this, and Paul struggled with it, so I've got to struggle. We're going to struggle, and we use this verse to justify our sins. We also <coughs> use this verse, sorry, i got this crud. Um, it's the, I don't know what it is. Um, <coughs> I was going to try to make a joke, but there's really no joke. It's really sickness, okay? Sickness is not funny. Um, <laughs> um, we, we, so we use it to justify our sin, but we also use it to leave us hopeless. I mean, I've, I've met so many, some people that use this verse in this section where it's like, well, I mean, Paul, Paul's the apostle. I mean, he is Paul, and he's wrestling with, I've been struggling with this addiction for, for 20 years. I've been wrestling with this, the, you know, this lust, with this anger for all my life, all I can remember. And, and I'm just, I mean, if Paul is still struggling with it, man, there's no hope for me. And, and it leaves us hopeless. It leaves us in this victim. Like, I'm just, I'm just doomed to, to, to uh, you know, this is just a part of my flesh. It's just, I've got this genetic disposition towards this sin, and it's just going to happen. That's what Paul's not. And so is that what Paul is talking about? Is that what Paul wants you to walk away with? Let me give you a clue. No. Okay, it's not. Um, it's not because here's the thing the Bible is life the Bible is breath the Bible is love and it's victory and so if you ever walk away from the Bible uh, hopeless and a victim and you walk away the Bible depressed man even in the areas where God's uh, confronting your sin he is doing so to build you up to make you a victor to challenge you to make you better and so if you're walking away as a victim or walking away hopeless you are walking away with the wrong interpretation of the Bible. And so what is the point of Romans 7? Well, before we get there, I wanted to bring up two points, or another thing, another question. There, as I'm studying this week, I was reading through some scholarly stuff and, and, and you know, commentators and all these different things, and there's actually two major interpretations of Romans 7. And I think we need to address these two major interpretations, because if you haven't uh, heard this, you will hear it eventually, because it's a very popular that Romans 7 can be interpreted through the lens of one of two ways. Now, the first way is that Romans 7 was before Paul was saved, right? So when it says, I did, I do what I want to do, I don't want to do, I, do, I don't do what I want to do. Paul, that whole argument, that, that, that battle that Paul's talking about, he's actually talking about the life before salvation, like that, that was used to be him. That was him. That was my struggle. That was my battle. So that's one interpretation. The other interpretation is that, no, this is indeed Paul talking about his battle today. He's fighting with the flesh. It's, I, I want to do God's will. I love the law, but my flesh is battling. My flesh wants to do this, and I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And this is Paul's explanation or description of his life today. And so uh, after salvation, because the truth is, is, this is why so many people avoid Romans. 
Like, it's like you read the riches of Romans and you get to some of Paul's letters and it's like, man, he's like speaking Chinese. It's like, what is he talking about, Paul? Like, what are you saying? And it's not even King James. It's like, you can read the message version and you're like, what are you saying, Paul? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm wrestling with it. That's why Paul, even in Paul says it, man. Sometimes I bring you milk and sometimes I want to bring you meat. And he goes like, man, but I keep having to bring you milk. So come suck on the booby. You know, and it's just like, you know, I got to feed you. Sorry, I gave you a wrong image. I got to feed you milk, but I want to feed you meat and get to the depths of the spiritual realities of God. And that's what Paul does. And, and it it's can be confusing. And here's the thing. This is why Peter says in 2 Peter, he says, Consider the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. In which, listen, in which these, some of these things are hard to understand. Peter's like, I get your pain. Paul is a hard to understand, okay? Like, I walked with Jesus, and I've read some of Paul's epistles, and I'm like, what's he talking about? Like, that's too, that's deep, that's hard. And Paul, Peter's like, man, I don't understand Paul sometimes. I mean, it's deep truth, it's depth. And guys, don't let our, our, don't let Paul's insight and wisdom cause us to back off and say, well, no, that's just for the scholars, you know. Let the scholars deal with it and struggle with it. No, guys, here's the thing. If you know me, you know one thing about me. I'm not a scholar, okay? You know, like, actually, I was, I was funny because when I first met married Savannah, she went through my mom, gave me all my boxes of crap, and uh, Savannah decided to go through it, and she found my high school paper, the paper that I had to write to graduate. And the whole thing was in one sentence. No punctuations, no periods, no commas, nothing. It was one sentence. I think they just wanted to get rid of me. There's no way that I would have passed that student if they wrote like I did. But I'm not a scholar, but I've been wrestling this week. This week was tough for me. I've been wrestling with it, wrestling with it, wrestling with it. And God has just brought so much to light through the book of Romans. And so I don't, don't let it stop you from reading it and digging into it. And so what is Paul saying here? Is it pre or post Christianity? Um, in my studies, where I land strongly, not just a little bit, I land strongly. This is Paul's explanation of where he is with Christ now. And the reason I say that is, first of all, if you read the, the wording, just the, con- the context of the wording, the, the contextualization, it is, I know, I see, I will, I do, I am. It's all present tense wording. So Paul's like, man, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I know. This is, and it's all present tense. But also, if you read the, 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 the language that he uses at the end where he says, man, I, who is going to save me from this flesh, this destruction? Thanks be to Jesus, or God, through Jesus Christ. I mean, look, how many atheists do you know that are walking away from God right now are like, who's going to save me from this flesh? Like, who's going to say, oh, I just can't wait till Jesus saves me. I can't wait till Jesus redeems my Not even atheists. I mean, unbe- like believers of, of other religions. How many Muslims do you know that are like, I, I just prayed to Allah and I love Muhammad. He's a great prophet. I just can't wait till Jesus redeems my flesh. Who's going to save me from the flesh? Jesus. No. How, see, it doesn't make sense. Why would Paul be screaming out in before Christianity that his death of his flesh, waiting for Jesus to put his death of his flesh down? It doesn't work that way. In fact, but to read it that is, this is where, where he is now actually makes sense in light of other things that Paul wrote. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, For our citizenship is not on earth, it's in heaven. 
for which we also eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious image. Paul's like, man, I can't wait. Same language. I can't wait till Jesus comes and takes this lowly body and transforms it into the glorious image. I can't wait for this lowly body to be gone. Even in Romans chapter 8, one chapter later, Paul says this, we ourselves groan with our, with, within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoptions, the redemption of the body. So just one chapter later, Paul's like, yeah, we can't wait for our body to be redeemed. Jesus says, hey, pray, but be careful, be on watch, because your spirit is willing, but your what? Flesh is weak. John says this, if anyone does, says they do not have sin, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in you. Why does John say that you if you say you confess that you do not have sin, you deceive yourself? Why does he say that? Because that's the only person you're deceiving, y'all. That's the only, like if you come and tell me, hey David, I think I got this. I don't have any sin. You're not deceiving me. Okay, you're, I'm looking at you and like you're a liar. Okay, that's your sin. Okay, you perfected everything else. You're a liar. All right, let's be real. Here. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, Paul, this is definitely Paul and his walk because let's be honest, this is our walk. This explains our walk. with Now, we never just base our interpretation of Scripture based off our experience. We look at the evidence throughout Scripture. Are they working? But when all these make sense and then our experience with this verse makes sense, then we could say if, it, if it, the, the, the logical sense makes no sense then, or makes sense, seek no other sense. I mean, it's just it works. Okay? We experience this, man. Every day we are in this battle with Paul wrestling with our flesh. And so with that being said, if we understand this is Paul talking about his walk right now, let's dig in. Let's read and understand what Paul is trying to get. How, what do we walk away with after, at, in, verse, or in chapter 7 of Romans? Or do you not know, this is verse 1, <coughs> or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who, are, uh, who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Let's just stop there. Paul begins with, I do not know. Now, what he, that means is he's about to say something that's so simple. It's a simple argument. He's, I mean, do you not know? This is basic. This is understanding. He's talking to these Jewish people who are accusing Paul of trying to abolish the law, of trying to destroy the law. You know, Paul's like, these Jewish people, I mean, Paul, you're, you're saying the law is bad. You're abolishing the law. It's wicked. And Paul's addressing these people, and he's making a simple argument for your relationship with the law. He says, do you not know that you are a... a the law has dominion over you as long as you live. And so what he's saying is that as long as you live, you are subject under the law. It's, it's simple. Like, right now we are under the law of America. Okay, there's laws in America. With law of, of North Carolina, Waynesville. Okay, say I kill you. Okay, now that's a law breaker. You have broke the law. It's a no-no, Okay. Now, I am subject under the penalty of, that's, that's too harsh, say I hit you, okay? Now, we can go kill, but, but let's just take softer pen, punishment. I hit you, I am guilty under the punishment of that guilt, okay? The, the law says, do not assault, okay? Now, what happens if I hit you, and then I die immediately, just random? What is the law going to do to me? Nothing. Like, it's not like you guys could go to Savannah and say, hey, your husband hit me before I, before he died. You're guilty. Like, and even if we did that, okay, even if y'all wanted to punish my wife for my sins, it didn't do anything to me. I'm dead. Okay, it's still on her. 
It has no effect over me. It has nothing to do with me. It's on her. You see, when I die, I die to the effects of the law of sin. Jack the Ripper, okay? I, I, I did some studying this week. <laughs> Jack the Ripper, he killed five women in England in 1888. We don't know who Jack the Ripper is. We've never found his identity. Now, unless there's a 170-year-old ma- man on the, the beach of Bermuda, um, he is dead, okay? If we figure out through 23andMe, um, his identity, the DNA test, okay? If we find out who he is, what effect of the law, what can we do to him? What can the law do to him while he's dead? Nothing. He's dead, okay? The law has no effect when you're dead. It's a very simple argument, okay? Uh, Paul is making, and so he goes on, and he adds on to this, uh, this argument. He says, for the woman who has a husband and is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be ca- called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law so that she is no adulteress. Though she is married to another man. Paul is building on this analogy. Now, hear, hear me. This is not a verse about marriage and divorce. Okay? If you are using this verse to, to defend or to, or to dive into uh, the doctrine around marriage and divorce, that is poor exegesis. Okay? This is Paul making an argument. If you walk away from this verse and this is your doctrine of marriage and divorce, you're missing it. You get a lot of contradictions within Paul's other letters. If we want to talk about marriage and divorce, we go to Matthew 5, we go to Matthew 19, we go to Romans 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll dive into that. But that's not what Paul's doing here. He's making a simple argument to add on to this law, being under the law and death. And it's very simple. If you are married, you are married until one person dies, okay? It's very, you're married, somebody dies, you're not married, okay? If you're still married after they're dead, it's kind of weird, all right? It just doesn't make sense. So that's what Paul's argument. And so he goes on, and he's using this physical analogy to build on a spiritual truth. Therefore, my brother, we've also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear, first, bear the fruit of God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So once Paul makes his physical route, he, now he's talking about the spiritual life. He says, as long as your spirit lives, as long as the inner person lives, you're still married to the law. Because as long as your inner person lives, man, that law is right there to reveal how wicked you are. The law is right there to expose that reality. And so as long as the inner man lives, that, you, that, that wicked, rebellious man lives, the law in you are still married. And so Paul says, in order for this relationship to be broken, the marriage and the person, the marriage and the, uh, the, the law and the inner man, one thing has to die, whether it's the law or you, somebody has to die. And we know it's not the law because Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one smallest letter or stroke will be taken from the law until it is accomplished. So Jesus says, it's not the law that needs to be removed. It's not the law that dies. The law is good. Who has to die? We do. We have to die. And this is what happens with Christ. You see, when Christ died. We've talked about this. I'm not going to go into too much detail because this has been all of Romans behind us. Um, when Christ 
dies that as the perfect lamb, as the perfect sacrifice. Remember the Old Testament lamb, the perfect lamb, the people would lay their bodies on the lamb as if their sins are put on the lamb. And when the lamb dies, their sins were dead with the lamb. And when Christ dies, we lay our sins upon him and that old person dies with Christ. You see, Christ was the only person that was able to satisfy, to fulfill the law. And so, like, when we looked at the law, we'd walk by the law and say, man, that's disgusting. It just reflects how wicked we are in the inner man. But when Christ walked by the law, it was just like walking in tangent. Ooh, that's good. That's good looking. You know, it was like the mirror was reflecting beauty because the law had no effect over Jesus because he wasn't breaking it. He wasn't, it wasn't exposing wickedness in Jesus. The law just was like, man, this is a beautiful mirror. This is awesome. But for us, it was exposing wickedness. And so when Jesus died, he died to fulfill the law. He died in perfection. He died with the mirror, not having any effect over him, not accusing him of anything because he did nothing. And so by doing so, he became that perfect sacrifice, thus fulfilling the law. And we died with Jesus, those who put their faith in Christ. And so that inner man is dead. And then now Paul says, because the inner man is dead, we could actually marry another. The inner man is dead. The one that was ungodly, the one that was chasing after um, all unrighteousness, that's gone. Now the spirit is made alive as Christ resurrects. Our spirit comes alive. We have a new spirit, a new righteousness, and we get to marry another. We marry Christ. This is happening in our spirit. Now, with all that being said, it's very easy for us to say, well, then obviously the problem is the law. The problem is this wicked Old Testament law that, that, that the, the people had to follow. It was wrong. And, and then we, as a people today, we, 3,000 years uh, later, you know, because I'm giving it, well, yeah, 4,000 years later, when Paul, the letter is wrote, that law was for those old people riding on donkeys and camels. And we look at that and say, I can't believe God would make them do that. I can't believe that was even a thing. I'm so glad that we're not subject under that dumb law. I'm so glad we're not subject under that wicked law. We got a new covenant. That was the Old Testament, God. We are in a new covenant under a new God, Jesus, okay? That old school stuff isn't working. That old school stuff was wicked. And Paul, and this is what Paul is being accused of, is diminishing and devaluing and destroying the law of God. And Paul answers it very quickly. What shall we say then? This is a question we just asked. Is the law sin? Is the law the problem? Paul says, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known what sin is except through the law. For I would not have known what covetousness was unless the law had said, you shall not covet it. But sin, taking every opportunity by the commandments, produced in me all manners of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once law and, uh, once without the law. But when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandments, deceived me. And by it, it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandments are holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Has then what is good become death to me? Is that, that what God meant for good, then it become evil to me? No, certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandments might become exceedingly sinful. Paul says, man, is there anything wrong with the law? Is anything bad with the law? Was the law a mistake? Was something wrong with it? 
Was it just a cultural thing that God said, these are the, for the people in the Middle East, you know, this is for them. Don't eat pigs, don't eat this. Is that, that was just for, it was just a bad law, just trying to, God trying to do something, failed, error, Jesus came, restore. Is that what it is? No, Paul says, no, not. You see, the law, the problem wasn't with the law. The law exposed the problem. The problem wasn't the law. The law exposed, the law was perfect, but it exposed my, depra- my depravity. You see, Paul says, apart from the law, there was no sin. Now, don't, don't misunderstand this. <laughs> Paul's not saying that when the law came, that's when sin entered in the world. It wasn't like Adam to Moses, everybody's wondering, it's awesome, okay? And then all of a sudden the law comes in, and then sin blew up, okay? It was just, it was wicked, sin entered in the world at Moses when the law came. That's not, that would contradict what Moses is saying, or what, Adam, what, what Paul's already said when he said death reigned from Adam to Moses. That would contradict that. So that's not what Paul is saying. You know, what Paul is saying is that when, when law came in, it almost uh, it expedited, not expedited, it like ignited sin. Okay, it's like this. I, I have an illustration. Um, everybody was giving me a hard time about this this morning, but I, um, okay, this is my girl. Um, <coughs> now, <coughs> move my jacket because I don't want to get my, girl, my jacket dirty. Um, okay, so this is, what, this is what Paul is talking about. From Adam and Eve, okay, we were, we were, we were not under the law, okay? We, were, we weren't under the law. There was no law, but we didn't have, so we didn't have a law telling us, do not steal, do not murder, do not covenant. So we had this kind of outer shell of prettiness, but there, there was still sin. I mean, we know there was sin. I mean, we had Adam and Eve, first of all, there was sin in Adam and Eve, okay? They committed the first sin. And then you had a murder through Cain and Abel. And then Noah, I mean, he gets off the boat, you know, and he gets wasted and naked, okay? Like that's, that, that's wrong, okay? He wasn't trying to repopulate the earth like Adam and Eve naked and all of a sudden ashamed. No, he was ashamed, okay? And so then we get to Abraham and Lot. Don't get me started on Lot, okay? Lot slept with his daughters, okay? That's, that's a no-no. It's just weird, okay? Um, Abraham tried to sell his wife Tried to sell his wife because he was afraid. So there was sin taking place. Sin was happening. Okay? But we had this kind of outer shell of facade. But then God sent the law. Okay? God gave us the law. I don't know if this is going to work. This could be fun or it could be just dumb or it could just make a mess. God gave us a law and the law said, do not murder. Okay? The law said, do not covet. Let's see. Is it going to work? Oh. The law said, do not steal. The law said, do love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Yeah, the Barbie's a volcano, okay. (laughs) And so as the law kept pouring over us, all of a sudden sin just began to increase and gather and collect and it started to expose. You see... Because when last night I was sitting there with a drill, and I started to reevaluate my life decision. <laughs> As I'm drilling a hole in Barbie's head, I said, I did not think I was going to be here at this age. Um, but when the law came, it ignited our sins. It's like, you know, okay, look at me. Everybody look at me. Look forward. There is a sign behind you. And it is great, and it's wonderful, but do not look at it. 
Okay, let's keep going. Don't look at it. How many of us want to look at it? Yeah, there's a, there is a sign. It's back there. You probably not even noticed it. You weren't thinking about it. But once I said, do not, everything in us wants to do. When you were a kid, do not push the button. Do not touch the stove. I wasn't thinking about touching the stove, but okay, now I'll do it. When I told Octavia, do not push the light socket, I went so far as to say, do not put the light so- touch the light socket. I'm going to stick a plastic thing in the light socket so you don't touch the light socket. Well, her thought is, well, that plastic thing is now just an obstacle for me to touch the light socket. How can I get the plastic thing off? Because now it's a challenge. And so, because in us, when the law came, it ignited. It didn't create. It ignited our sin. And so, so the question is, why would God send a law to ignite if we were doing so pretty and being so good? We had sin in our lives, but it was kind of kept together. It was pretty. It was collected. It wasn't as bad. It wasn't ignited. Why would God then send a law to ignite it and to exasperate it, to show it off? Because where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. You see, if your law, if your sin is exposed, then what's going to happen is you understand your need for a Savior. You cannot have a Savior unless you understand your depravity. You will not understand your depravity unless you understand what the law says. And so the law was in place to show you how depraved you are and your need for a Savior because we can't do it. Because we got blue stuff coming out of our heads. Um, So then we get to this next section, and this is the last section, and this is where we struggle. This is where we wrestle with it. Okay, this is where we kind of makes, it's kind of confusing, okay? Verse 14, let me just try to read through that. I I read read through this earlier, and I'm like, I can't even read through it, okay? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For, it, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will, to, will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. I find the law, I find a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man I am I, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I serve the Lord, the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Catch that? Good. So, once again, Paul is reiterating the fact that the problem isn't with the law. That salvation through faith has always been God's plan. Hebrews 11 talks about how it's always been God's power used through, uh, 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 God's power uh, channeled through man's faith. God's grace channeled through man's faith has been the means of salvation. To get mad at the law, to blame the law, to, to call the law broken or wicked is like, man, you sitting in front of a mirror and saying, man, this is not working. It's 
broken. It doesn't make me look like Brad Pitt. Like I, only, I, just, I still look like a property brother. Like, fix me. Like, work this out. Because though the mirror wasn't intended to change you. That's not how it was designed. It was intended to reflect who you are. The law was never put. God never said, this law is going to change my people. It's going to reach, it's going to change their heart. It's going to make them new. It's going to affect them. The law was not in place to transform Israel. So it can't be a salvation tool because it was never even given as a salvation tool. It was never even intended. It was never purposed that way. It was just to say, here's a mirror. Let's see your wickedness. And so grace was always the means of this. But then Paul says, look, I am carnal. I am carnal. That means literally, I am still of the flesh. So God's law was never me- meant to be a means of salvation. Um, it is still perfect, holy, spiritual. But you see, Paul is explaining, while the law is holy, spiritual, uh, and perfect, I am still in the flesh. I'm no longer bound by the flesh. I am no longer a slave to the flesh. My spirit has died to slavery. It's got victory over the flesh. But here's the thing. While the flesh is no longer in me, I am still of the flesh. While I'm not, sorry, while I'm no longer of the flesh, the flesh is still in me. Does that make sense? While I'm no longer a slave to sin, Paul says there is a new, I see the law of my flesh, the law of sin and working through its members of the body. When he's talking about the law, it's not that the flesh is obeying a law. It's that the, that's talking about something that explains the, what's happening. It's like if I say the law of gravity tells me that this is going to fall if I drop it, okay? Now, I am not saying that this bottle is now under a law that it has to fall. Okay, it's not like if I, I let go, and it's going to, you know, start floating in the air. And I, hey, get down, obey the law. Okay, no, the law of gravity is explaining what takes place. It's not creating a law that things have to, to abide by. It's just explaining that what goes up must come down. Explain that there's a gravitational force of 9.8. Uh, I remember something in physics. Um, there's a, this is explaining a law. It's explaining what's happening. And Paul's saying there's something that's taking place. My members in this law, I'm explaining what's taking place is that while my spirit is redeemed, while my spirit is made new, while my spirit loves the law, my flesh is not redeemed. My flesh is not dead. Look, listen to this. Your flesh is no more holy, is no more righteous than it was when you became saved. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But your flesh is not any more righteous than when you first became a, a, a Christian. Like your flesh is still under that law of sin and death. So what does this mean? Do we take it like the agnostics and say, well, if the flesh and spirit, if the spirit's the only thing that matters and the flesh, it doesn't really matter, then let's just let the flesh do what it wants because it doesn't really matter. Let's just go on and have, you know, do, uh, you know, go smoke some weed and do some ecstasy and do all kinds of stuff. You know, I don't know what y'all, y'all crazy people do out there anymore. Um, <clears throat> whatever. Let's just go out and just let our flesh have its way. 
And because it doesn't matter because my spirit is true. My spirit is okay. My spirit is saved. And so once again, do we walk away justifying with what Paul's saying is if your flesh is still under this, this law of sin and your spirit is transformed, does it really matter what our flesh does? Well, you know, can we just not walk and just justify our sin, let it go, let it happen, let our flesh take over? No, Paul, you see, that's not what you see here at Paul. See, what we see with Paul is that because his spirit loves the law, because his spirit is absolutely crazy about Jesus, it's transformed, it's renewed, there is this battle between his spirit and his flesh. And so there's no way that he's going to be able to walk in his flesh and walk in this destruction. The very thing that Christ hates, the very thing that his spirit hates, the very thing that just gives him, that brings conviction. I mean, see, the only way for us to walk in a way uh, within our flesh, to walk in sin without conviction, to walk in sin justified to walk in this brokenness the only way to walk in that is if there's an inner man that hasn't been changed if the inner man hasn't been transformed because that needs to be transformed so in order for you to be able, uh, that that needs to stay the same under the law in order for you to walk that way and paul what he's what we see is that man i know my flesh is just desiring this stuff it's desiring this stuff and my spirit longs for you i can't wait for jesus to redeem this flesh to restore this flesh because i'm sick of walking and being tempted by the same crap every day while my spirit longs for jesus i'm sick of my flesh desiring to look at the screen every night i'm sick of my flesh desiring to lie i'm sick of my flesh desiring to gossip desiring to lust desiring to be homosexual i'm sick of my lust desiring a adultery. I'm sick of my lust desiring these things because my spirit wants Jesus. And it's this wrestle with Paul that I want my body to be redeemed. I can't wait till I get a glorious body. I can't wait. And guys, this is why it doesn't make sense for us to be hiding our sins. Like, it doesn't make sense for us to come in here polished. It really doesn't. Because, I mean, think about it. Like, if we truly believe our spirit is transformed, renewed, and that our flesh is, yes, it's a rebel, but all, every Christian's belief and, and every Christian's hope is to be perfect like Christ is perfect, and we're striving. We, we, we don't want this, the flesh, we don't want the flesh to take over. Does it really make sense, like, if you break your arm, that you come in here and you're like, I don't want anybody to see it. Don't see it. Don't, don't look at it, okay? Cover up. Don't look at my broken arm. Like, guys, it's a... It, it, it's a, it's a wound on the flesh, okay? We're not thinking, oh, he really likes his broken arm. He wanted that to happen. He loves his broken arm. No, it's something that we know you don't want. We know it was bad. We know that it needs to heal. We know it's broken. But here's the thing. This is what we do with our sin. It's like, man, we got sin in life. Don't look at my sin. Don't look at me. Expose it. Stop hiding it because it's not like your flesh is, is less holy. I never had hope for your flesh anyways. I didn't put my, my high expectations on your flesh. Okay, this is a wrestle. This is a battle we're all struggling with. We're all walking through. It's like with Paul. And so why are we hiding the crap of our flesh when we all are striving to put to death the power of the flesh? Let's just be real, y'all. Let's expose this stuff. I mean, it shouldn't leave us hopeless. It shouldn't leave us justified. Guys, every day. So what do we do? Every day we have a choice. This is kind of where I'm going to bring it together, bring it to an end. Every day we have a choice. Galatians says this, but I say walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh is set against the desires of the Spirit, and the Spirit against the desires of the flesh. Okay, so here's the good news. It's not that, oh, the flesh is just going to be something that we struggle with, and it has power, has dominion, and we're just going to go. 
No, Paul says, man, you died to the power. It has no authority over you. So now, here's the thing. Every day, every second, you have a choice. Do you die to yourself? Every day, every second, you have a choice. Who is going to be, is your flesh going to lead your life? Like when your flesh wants, ooh, pretty, ooh, pretty. Like is that the guiding of your life anymore? Because that used to be the guiding of your life and your spirit went along with it. But now you have a new spirit. You have a new master. And so every day, every second, we have a choice. Who is going to be Lord? If your flesh is saying, I want that. But your spirit is saying, that is not of God. Who has a choice there? Who is leading the ship now? Who is directing? You see, this is sanctification. Sanctification is not you becoming more holy, your flesh becoming more holy. You are, you are just as righteous as when you started, as when you will end. You're not going to become more righteous in the flesh. Like when I die at age 88, mark it. I'm just if I die at 88 and I live a life for 50 years following Jesus Christ, serving Jesus Christ, surrendering my Jesus to Jesus Christ, my flesh will not be any more righteous as it is today. That's not sanctification. Sanctification is your spirit has been made righteous, it's been made whole, it's been made redeemed, and you spend your life beating your flesh into submission. You spend your life beating your flesh and saying, there's a new boss. There's a new master. There's a new Lord. You ain't running the shots here. I know you want that pretty girl. Get over it. You ain't getting her. You, I know you want to gossip right now. Get over it. It ain't you. There's a new leader. I know you want to lie. I know you want to cheat. I know you want to steal. You ain't the master anymore. We've got a new master. I've got a new Lord. You see, so sanctification is just daily dying to your flesh. Beating your flesh into submission. We got a new boss now. We got a new Lord here. And it's this wrestle. It doesn't mean that we're going to walk. But that's the encouraging part. It doesn't mean that you know, our flesh, the fact that it desires the same things that Jesus hates and the things that Jesus died for, it drives us crazy. It annoys us. But this is what should be encouraging to us. Because Paul, the apostle Paul, is standing here and saying, man, I, re I wrestle with my flesh daily. And if you look at Paul, you watch the boldness, the power, the authority of Paul. And what you see is that Paul's authority, power, and boldness wasn't based off of his flesh. It was based off of what, what his position in Christ. It was based off of, man, I've been transformed. I've been redeemed. I am a saint. I am sanctified. I am a child of the living God. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. It's not based off of my flesh. You see, your fear and your, your, uh, your uh, lack of boldness and your hopelessness, all that stuff, that comes from you focusing on your flesh. When you focus on your flesh and what you're doing, you ain't going to go out there and speak on behalf of Jesus. You ain't going to go tell people about the love of Jesus because you see your flesh and say, I don't have it together yet. I can't tell people about how Jesus loves them because I have crap in my life. I have sin in my life. Guys, that's the love of Jesus displayed. Your sin is a, is a, is a declaration of the grace of Jesus Christ. You ain't going to get your crap together. Man, I want to say some words right now. Uh, you ain't going to get it together. We're broken in the flesh, but in the spirit, you're transformed. And that's where we stand. That's where we find our boldness. That's where we find our peace. That's where we find our strength. And that's where we go out. Guys, I have been walking with Jesus for 15 years now. And I love Jesus. I love Jesus more than I love my wife, my kids. But here's the thing. I am not impressed with David. I'm not impressed with me. 
because this flesh is, is wicked. And, 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 and I'm not going to have a confession time here, but man, just know, I'm wicked. We all are. And so we've got to stop giving our flesh, number one, giving our flesh authority. There's a new boss. There's a new master. But we also got to stop walking in fear because we're, we're, we're focusing on our flesh, and we got to start walking in boldness because we're focusing on our position. So with that, that's Romans 7. We shouldn't walk away justified in our sins. We shouldn't walk away justified in our hopelessness. We should walk away in courage and bold and changed. We have a new master. We are a new person. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Father, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.